What's up, everybody? Bradley with the Insurance Guys Podcast here. Before we get started with this episode, I want to talk to you about this week's sponsor. If you pay any attention to the Independent Agency channel, you know there's no hotter buzzword right now than VAs or virtual assistants. This week's sponsor, I'm proud to say, is CoverDesk, who offers an innovative client solution for agencies to outsource client-facing VAs. Created by agency veteran Andy Priesman, owner of Greenway Insurance. People, this is not your typical VA company. They offer a proven system of recruiting highly educated virtual assistants, ensuring consistent performance for your agency. With their experience, they're able to help you design a program that is just right for you and your agency. They implement by onboarding and training each VA in foundational insurance skills. Visit CoverDesk on the web at www.coverdesk.com or email them at hello at CoverDesk.com or you can call them and tell them that the insurance guys sent you. Please do at 512-879-3345. Guys, give CoverDesk a ring. I promise you, you will not regret it. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys Podcast. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Sarah Land, Alabama, parade first team All-American rivals, five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? I'm great, Scott. How are you? You look like the emperor from Star Wars right now. Bradley, this will be the last transmission of my entire life. Let me explain why. I just got out of my truck. Temperature, 34 degrees. (laughs) Wind chill, 25 degrees. Here comes the kicker, guys. Here comes the kicker. Wind blowing somewhere between 25 and 30 miles an hour. Now, folks, let me explain something to you. I do a lot of traveling. In the wintertime, when I'm in the Northeast, doesn't matter. New York, Chicago, Boston, does not matter where I'm at. I spend my entire time there randomly walking up to people and asking one question. Why the hell do you live here? Why do you live here? You can't live here. You've got to move somewhere besides here because normal people can't deal with this. This is impossible. Bradley, your thoughts. You remember that time we went to Paradiso's office and it was like uh, March the 19th and they were getting ready for it to snow the next week. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. (laughs) Bradley, I have got something that has just occurred right before we jumped on this podcast. I am sitting in my office. I have all my podcast stuff ready. Top five and I are waiting on you to come in. Bradley's running late. 1983 MacBook that you won't replace that I guess I'm going to have to buy you for Christmas. One of my account managers comes in here and she goes, I've got an Amazon package for you. Here is what was in the Amazon package. And I want to give him a shout out. Ladies and gentlemen, I have just been sent a DeLorean time machine. Who sent that to you? Wrap your head around that. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to take this opportunity live on the podcast to thank Mr. Mike Lewis with Archibald and Lewis. They've only been in business since 1936, so they know more. They've forgotten more about insurance than I know. 
Uh, Mike is a 23-year veteran of the insurance industry. And Mike, I just want to say thank you on, uh, so much. I'm all, I, I'm actually a little speechless right now. That is awesome. That's like the best gift ever. Literally five minutes ago, this happened. So I want to say thank you to him for that. And uh, we really, really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Mike's Ladies a good guy. And, I know Mike personally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope I get a chance to. Ladies and gentlemen, there are times in your life, there are people in your life that you meet and you instantly like them. You instantly feel connected to them. And today it is my profound honor to have one of those people in my life on this podcast. He is a five-tool player. He's the best I have ever seen in the insurance industry on film, on social media. He can do it all. He can blog. He can vlog. He can write. He can write insurance. He he is unbelievable on video, and I am humbled to have him on the podcast today, and he means more to me than he knows he means to me, and I'm not going to get emotional because I said I was not going to. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, he was born, raised, and lives in Miami, Florida. He is a graduate from FIU, where he played Division I baseball and pitched there. He is married to the beautiful Lisa Gazatua. And they have two beautiful babies, Lewis and Leah. His work ethic was forged from his family building one of South Florida's most recognizable restaurant chains. And he is the partner in one of the fastest growing insurance agencies in the country, JAG Insurance, just named Agency of the Year by NU Property and Casualty and Property Casualty 360. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor today to introduce to you one of my favorite people in the world. He is the first-time guest on the Insurance Guys podcast, my friend, Top 5, Louis Gazatua. How you doing, Top 5? Man, I, I can listen to you talk all day, Scott. <laughs> I, I, I got goosebumps, so you, you know, I appreciate the intro. You know, well, but... I, I mean every word of it. You where know, where we met, did the name we Top met... 5 come from? I have to know. So I'll tell you where it came from. I told the guys from JAG, I said, hey, I'm going to come down here and see y'all. And they're like, yeah, right, you're not going to come down here. That's right. I went down there for two days, spent two days at their offices. We got to know each other down there. And when I got back home, I'm going to let Top 5 talk about this, but there's three partners in JAG Insurance, and they're all just in, incredibly diverse, but just unbelievably good people. And, you know, they allowed us, Clinton or in my office and I, to come down there and visit with them. Well, when I got back, I wanted to send them something. So I sent them some things and I sent a card and I told, I told top five in the card, I said, you are one of the top five people, most interesting people that I've ever met in my whole life. Now, what we have never spoken about before is I think Fernie and Doug got a little bit of a burr in their saddle about that. Am well, I, I mean, uh, rightfully so. I mean, that yeah. is the best nickname. I appreciate that, but I actually want to use it for other people, I, you know, just, I wanted to kind of replicate that, but I can't. I got to go top 10, top 15, maybe top 25. Remember back then when MySpace was relevant, right? You had the top eight. And that was something that you could hold people accountable, right? If your friends were getting out of line, you'd move them up and down. Uh, we kind of lost that, but I'm, I'm going to do top 10. That's fine. No problem. First thing I want to talk about on the podcast, I've got so much to go over with you today. But before we get to all that, our mission on this podcast never changes. It's to help insurance agents in any way we can. And there's probably not many people better at doing that than you are because one of your expertise is explaining things simply 
so that people can understand them. That's one of the hallmarks I, I try to do myself is break things down big bird style for people so that they can understand things. Before we do that, climb in my DeLorean for just a moment, two or three minutes. Give us just a breakdown of what happened when we left FIU. We went out into the big bad world and how you landed in insurance and just kind of bring us up to today. Sure. Before that, you know, honestly, just kudos to both of you guys, because what you guys do for our industry, the voice and how I mean, it's obviously it's hard to, to put up. It's not tangible, right? The kind of value you guys do for, for independent agents out there. So like both of you guys are the pioneers. I think you're the best at what you do. So thank you for everything you guys do. Oh, man, I appreciate um, it. Dude, I'm, appreciate I, for that. some reason, I don't know why, but I'm very emotional today, as you can tell. So. Uh, thank you for that. I'm going to try my damnedest not to start crying today. But we'll, thank just, you. we'll just piss you off, and then that'll change that. <laughs> yeah, that'll yeah, change. We, can, we can flip that. Yeah. But if we're jumping in the time machine, I'll give you kind of the, the, the quick story. I mean, really blessed being, being able to work not only with, with really two friends, right? There's three of us. And we all grew up together. We all played sports. We all went to college together. Kind of the stars aligned. Just So I'm blessed to be able to do that. Not everyone can say that they work with friends, but I really do work with two of my best friends. And because of that, we've you know, developed, we, we've, we've grown up together, we've matured together, but it's been, we've been together 14 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, not always Jag Insurance Group. You know, when we started working together, we were, we were producers, salespeople, we still are. And that's just kind of evolved over time. Uh, seven years ago, Jag Insurance Group kind of was formed. It took us about 30 seconds to figure out the name. We just kind of sat <laughs> in one order. Like, how could you pronounce it better, right? right. We didn't want to be a law, the law firm of Jones, Alvarez, Gazzatua. So I said, think you should have oh, went with Gage. Guys, the, the joke is we hold everybody in check. I, I told Fernie because he's the A. If he gets out of control, it'll just be Jones and Gazatua. We can just do the A to an and sign. That's kind of, and then they, they throw me under the bus and they say, well, it'll be Jones Alvarez group. And they cut me out. So we always have uh, that joke. But, but being able, you know, seven years ago, just kind of, I think what we did is, you know, we, we were, we're salespeople at heart. We still are. But what really changed when we came up with this idea was to kind of more work together, right? So, mm. As far as being a producer, you're still kind of focused on working on your accounts, and rightfully so, because mm-hmm. this is a commission-based industry and you need to make money, you got to increase sales. Uh, but we realized what was happening is we were running in our independent lanes, and there's opportunities that were missed. So really, what we started working on accounts together, like looking bigger picture, right? Splitting accounts, splitting commission, um, no matter what it was, because we, we all kind of realized, even though we're, we're all very like-minded, which is why we're friends first, we all have a different approach. We, we articulate differently, even who we get along with, right? Who you click with. We kind of just, mm-hmm. what we did is we said, hey, look, let's just, let's take a step back. Let's throw everything into the pot and let's do this together. Check your egos at the door. And when that, that changed seven years ago, it's really led to, to a big reason for our growth. You know, we hold each other, we still hold each other accountable on a monthly basis as far as, you know, new business, renewals, kind of like that ticker, right? We're, we're, we're always competing against each other from the athletic standpoint, but we do this together. And that's kind of been what's, what's led to JAG Insurance Group. It's really about the people we work with. It's about helping others. It's about trying to now develop producers on the, on the front lines to help kind of grow this business because it's really about them. I don't even sometimes feel uncomfortable. I know I have to do it and we need this. I got to put myself out there and get uncomfortable, but I really want to make this about everybody else and not just about me. Mm. And that's, that's kind of what, what we're doing. We're trying to build and, and continue to be one of the biggest independent agencies, privately owned in the Southeast United States. And, and that's what we're, we're, we're continuing to kind of strive for. So I have something that you said the other day that is near and dear to my heart that I've been complaining about for 
I guess all 12 years that I've been in insurance, you get on social media and you start talking about the month of December, we're going to do away with lunch. We're going to go with chicken, chicken nuggets, which I think is the perfect thing to go with and put them in our fanny packs at work. We've got our Jag fanny packs because, and here, here's where these agents need to hear this for 12 years. I've been in the insurance business. Not one year have I ever been able to get in touch with an underwriter after December the 15th. <laughs> no, I swear to God. I, well, you're I, right. If you're I'm right. lying, it, right. you know, somebody thinks I'm not telling the truth, please speak up. But I thought that that idea of doing away with lunches because we've only got 14 work days in the month of December was probably the smartest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk about that. Yeah, it's something we always stress out about. You know, tw- so 1231 historically is a big renewal date. And, and it's not, not only for us, but just insurance in general. So the underwriters are slammed. And everybody wants to get, every, you know, everybody wants to finish this, right? Early December, close out. They want to meet. They want to get the renewal options. So they could kind of close their office and move on with what they, what they have to do. Um, for us, I mean, December is one of the most stressful, stressful months. And it's, it's something you got to prepare for in November. Right. Um, not, and, it, and it's just weird holidays come up and everything kind of creeps up on you so quick, but yeah, December, like we're in the middle of it right now. It's crunch time. It's something you got to really be aware of. Bradley, I've got a new segment of our show. I want to start today. Okay. Maybe the only time we ever do it. We'll so just have Johnny, to see how Johnny's going to roll the new segment <laughs> music. Yeah. New segment music. It's called the ePay policy. Fast pass five questions for Ooh, top five today. Okay. All right. Only thing faster than these questions is when you've got an agency build account and somebody wants you to go drive 21 <laughs> miles to their office to go pick up a check, and instead you text them your ePay policy account and they just send it to you via credit by, card. By the way, and this is relevant, did you know that you can log into your ePay policy? This is, this is not an ad. I literally just found this out. You can log into your ePay policy account and pre-fill all the customer info. That way they don't have to fill it out themselves. That's did you know you can do that? Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I can tell you, e, we use ePay, and that's from you guys. Right. That's actually changed. I mean, the, their technology, they've been great. When we use them, it, it changed the way, you know, obviously their app, the easy to do business has changed, but, you know, they, we, we started using them just from hearing them from you guys. They saved me from having to go drive 26 miles over to somebody's office or house to pick up a, a check because I always say, you got, you got a credit card? Oh, yeah, I got a credit card. By the way. We're about uh, to use your credit card. <laughs> I owe Todd Sorrell a stake because Texas a oh. beat Auburn this past. No, you're even, you're Saturday. even now. He owed no, you one. No, we went double or nothing. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to send right. him two Salisbury's in the mail. Here's the top five, the top five, four top five questions of the day. Question number one, best Christmas present you ever got as a kid? Go-kart. Mm. Probably 10 mm. years old. And I, I remember it. So I'm a twin. I have a twin brother. I remember my, my dad did get us the, that go-kart, you know, with the gas, kind of rip up the engine. We almost killed ourselves the first 30 seconds, so I'll never forget it. It was the happiest, then saddest, and then I got to use it again. But definitely the go-kart. It was, little, it was little Ralphie in the Christmas story, times two. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. Okay, next question. Sports is a vital part of the culture at JAG. We have three principals at JAG that all played sports division one sports now we know that you are the best athlete of that group you've got speed size agility balance 
you could pitch, you could run, you could you could do it all. So obviously you are in the top spot there at number one. But that leaves two spots left, Fernie and Doug at the two and three spots. Who do you choose as the second and third best athlete at Jag? Can we do a tie for second or we got to pick somebody? Oh, you can tie. You can tie. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie. I mean, they're both – I mean, I'll say this. If we could put all three of us together as one athlete, we, right. we'd be in the big league somewhere. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a tie. Okay. Okay. I, I can get that. I, I would go – I would probably go Fernie because I really don't know where – I think Doug was a kicker. Is that right? At FIU, is that correct? Yep. Fernie Kickers. just – man, Fernie looks like he just has that, that it factor of a good athlete. <laughs> I, 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 there's just something about his personality and the I, way he carries himself. I'll tell you this. I don't know his background on playing football, but Fernie with that red, smoldering, hot, fire passion inside him – Boy, I'd have hate to played him at him him playing cornerback in high school football because he would have lit you up if he I'll had a chance. I'll tell you a funny story about Fernie. I don't know if you remember this, Scott, but when we interviewed Doug and Fernie, we did them back to back, and Doug yeah. went first, and we got off the air, and I said, "Hey, Doug," I said, "Tell Fernie that." We really hope he doesn't screw up or something today. That way he gets real nervous. And Doug said, oh, don't worry. I don't have to tell him anything. He's nervous as heck right now. <laughs> what were you going to say, top five? What was your – I, I, I will say this. Fernie's as far as his, his work ethic, I, I can say I've never seen anybody work harder. And that, that's from work but also working out. Mm-hmm. If, you ever wanna, if you ever see him in a CrossFit gym, I would argue he's probably the most fittest insurance agent in the country by far. I, I, mean, it's, it's I don't even, disagree with that. It's not even – It's. It, I don't even want to work out with him because it bothers me. It's just It's too much pressure. He right. calls me, hey, you want to go for a run? I'm like, I'll, I'll go second. You know, you go first. I'm taking it easy. I'm just trying not to I'm – not, I'm trying not to get hurt, right? The most dangerous thing I do every day is that little a little hop out of the bed. Once I stick the landing, I'm good to go. Question number three. What's the most valuable lesson – you ever learned from a coach that you still to this day think about and apply in your business world? Wow. That's actually, that's a great question. The, the lesson has to be work ethic. It has to be it. My high school baseball coach still, still talk to him to this day. Best coach I ever had. I mean, I had plenty of great coaches as well, you know, work ethic and accountability, you know, and, and I'm kind of like, and I remember just lessons, you know, being in ninth, 10th grade, trying to make the varsity team, but knowing that you have to work hard as, and, and to be held accountable as far as mm-hmm. your peers, um, the last thing you ever want to do is have somebody next to you think you're not working harder than them. Right. So that's, I mean, just honestly, work ethic and accountability. Question number four, we're going back to insurance now. And if you can't answer this, don't worry about it. We'll move on to question five. I know you guys work with tons of carriers and brokers. Who is your favorite carrier to work with? Could be because of your underwriting relationship. Could just be because ease of doing business. Favorite carrier? Got to pick one. One. You know what's interesting? I, if I look at it, and there's a few of them, but I can say this: the the best relationships we have really comes down to the to how we deal with the marketing the marketing reps for the carriers. Right. Obviously, we can go by based on experiences and maybe claims experiences. You can talk about ratings, but um, I think it's such an underrated value of having a good relationship with your marketing rep and i'm actually disappointed there's some carriers at least regionally that are starting to kind of let go of the marketing reps they're kind of making the underwriters kind of do both right yes you know what, what is the easiest way to, to save money right cut payroll 
it's, it is disappointing that the, a lot of carriers are starting to underestimate that value because they're the ones that kind of come to your office. They build that trust and rapport. They're the ones that really become uh, the problem solvers. And it's an extension, really, because in, in theory, marketing reps want to produce. So they're very like-minded to how we think as agents. Right. Um, and sometimes you do with underwriters, right? They're looking for reasons why not to write something. Mm-hmm. Marketing reps are looking for reasons why to write something. So I can say the best relationships, and I don't want to name one just because they might call me out. The four or five best relationships has to come down with the marketing representatives. Right. And for me, I, I will add to that is, is how, how hard are they willing to go to bat for you too? Mm-hmm. That's really, really important. Yeah, 100%. You, and, you, and you can tell right away, right? You can tell right away if they're the ones that really want to stick their neck out. You know, mm-hmm. Are they going to kind of take it above that initial declination from the underwriter, from the desk underwriter? Are they going to go to war for you? So that's, it's 100% comes down to the marketing rep. Question number five and the last question of the day before we move on to the topic of the day, Jorge Masvidal. For those of you that don't know who Jorge Masvidal is, he is an MMA fighter. He is one of the baddest men on the planet. Mm-hmm. I think he's had a couple of not so great outings or at least one last time he came out, but he's also beaten some of the greatest MMA fighters in the world. So my question to you is this. It's a two-part question. Number one, do you have a relationship with Jorge Masvidal? Be part of this question. How many average insurance agents in terms of size, just, 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 you know, just a regular insurance agent, how many of those guys would it take to get Jorge Masvidal down and get him to tap out? It's unlimited. I mean, I, I have met Jorge Masvidal. And well, I knew he was a Miami boy. I knew he was a Miami boy. Yeah, he, no, he is. I, I got a couple of photos with him. I'm, I'm a fan after meeting him. I mean, full disclosure, I, I wasn't really big into the whole MMA, UFC. I mean, I, I'd watch it as a casual fan. But my next door neighbor is, a, is an agent. He's an actual mm-hmm. sports agent for that specific field. Jorge's his client. Right. So, you know, they come over, they watch the fights. You know, I've met him. Th- that look in his eye and what he does, uh, I. I would say realistically, probably ten agents at the same time kind of come at him. That's that's and be, and be that's, that's the answer. That's and that's ten, the answer. And ten thirties. Let's get ten thirties. Let's not get ten. You know. Right. It's going to be yeah. tough. Yeah. The answer I was going to give was ten. It would take ten to get him to submit. There would probably be some hospitalizations <laughs> from multiple of those ten after. You finally got him on the ground and got him to submit. But I'm, Can I'm we organize that where it's like all 10 of my competitors doing it? <laughs> hey, that's a pay-per-view right there, baby. Absolutely. 10, ten of yep. your competitors versus Jorge Masvidal in a street fight. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to make it out. I can tell you that. Hey, top five. Here's the topic of the day. Insurance agents from around the world, I want you to listen up. Get your notebook out. I have mine out. I take notes every week just like you take notes every week. Topic of the day that I wanted to talk with him today today about. There's a couple of these I want to run through with him. First topic of the day, loss runs. Heard you talking about it on social media the other day, how important loss runs are, especially with what you and I do in the habitational world. Talk, let's talk a little bit about loss runs and how sure. important they are as part of getting an account set up, getting it underwritten, getting the right price for the right client. Let's talk about loss runs today. 
Your lost runs, and, and we like to use the analogy, it's that, that's your credit score as a business, right? Trying to buy insurance. Right. You're not going to get a loan and not tell me your credit score is. And that, the lost runs tell the story. I think what has to change, and it kind of seems like a bad word, is usually people only ask for what? When they're either shopping an account or someone's asking them for it. I think this whole uh, mindset of, of, it, of it being somewhat taboo, because, you know, I mean, there's times, right, we go after accounts and you're asking your prospect, hey, can you order lost runs? They almost feel like this, this, there's like a, some sort of trepidation, right? I'm, I'm scared to ask. I might offend, you know, my agent or I don't want to give them a heads up. But, the, but that has to kind of change. I mean, you as a business owner, I'm always saying you should be getting them consistently every quarter, every six months. It's really only an email away. Right. I mean, look, underwriters have them on their desk. If they're giving you a renewal quote, they're looking at it. But it's, it shouldn't be as one of those things where that, hey, this is taboo. They're, they're going to shop me or it might affect me. But that needs to be more of a, a proactive approach of what's going on. I mean, what's telling the story of your business? Do you think it's somewhat antiquated the way that we have to go about ordering loss runs? Do you think it should be as easy as ordering a clue report on a personal auto, a personal auto policy? Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, you, you, I you as a consumer well. should be, but I mean, and then our, our, our industry is so, it's so fractured and even the way they set up, right? Even if you have to go to an MGA on some of the surplus line stuff, it's just, it's set up like the lack of information, they, they want to make it difficult, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's hard enough to, keep, to get a new account and then try to move it. They want to kind of, it's almost like that, the continuing promotion of laziness in our industry. Yeah, laziness the, and the no frustrating way. part is, is that data is there. I mean, Ivan's has that data. Yep. They know if there's been claims, but they just won't unlock it for the agents or the clients. The frustrating part too, and, and this happens all the time, it's even, let's go back to that, that model, right? Everybody now is going to these third-party TPAs. So claims aren't even being running in house anymore, which is an issue of how claims are being handled, which we'll go into later. Yeah. But, but there's times where, and it's happened to, it happened to me recently where I'm negotiating a renewal, right? With an MGA. And then what happens is the carrier released a quote, right? It was actually, it's actually December. It's a, it's a, it's a Christmas day. It's my Christmas present. It's a total 25. It's a nice account. It's a, it's a property schedule. Got the real quote, have it there subject to what? Terrible loss runs. By the way, this is an account that they've had for three years. You would assume they would know the information. They, they, pulled, they pulled the loss runs. It looks like the insured, knowing without knowing, because sometimes they filed one of these BI kind of COVID claims, which they felt they kind of, they pulled out of. They were they just wanted their to denial it. letter. Yeah, they wanted something in there, but that claim was pulled out. And now the underwriters is, is almost coming at me like if I was withholding information. Number one, I don't know, right? Like you're the underwriter. You've had it for three years. Like, where's the communication between you and your claims department? So that's an example of if you order the loss runs, you're able to kind of be, also hold them accountable as well. Hey, top five, we got a lot of captive agents on here. We got a lot of young bucks on here that are just breaking into the insurance industry. Explain what a TPA is. Uh, third party administrator. Yeah. Um, and, and lucky you, you have to deal with them, right? Because the, the captive agents, I think that's where they have a leg up, right? Where they have, the claims are running house. I mean, and this is about claims. Like, we don't talk about that enough. I mean, so much we talk about kind of the, the sales of it, right? Saving you money, what's your rate? Kind of figure out what, what can I sell you or what kind of fits that, that piece of the puzzle. But the claims is a big issue. And, and I think direct carriers or captive agents have a little bit of a leg up because they're able to develop a better relationship with the claims people, the desk adjusters. Um, right. On our end, right, you know, some of these surplus lines carriers, when you go through managing general agents, they're absolutely going to 100% third-party administrator model. Right. So it means you got to report a claim to your carrier or to your general agent who then sends it to a third-party administrator 
who then might hire a local adjuster. That, that chain of information gets a little bit sticky, but they're, they're the people that are ha- handling the claims. So most of the time, all of the time, when you are going after an account or I'm going after an account, you ask the client for loss runs, their next step is to turn around and notify their existing agent of the fact that they need loss runs, which then is like kicking the ball off the tee of the red light comes on and they're like, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. There's a lot of ways you can do this. They could go out and block all the markets, right, immediately and say, hey, we just got notification that we, we somebody wants some loss runs, so we're going to do these accord forms and just send them out to every potential. Anybody and everybody, right? Yeah, Any, right, anybody, right. Anybody has a laptop kind of. And, yeah. and, don't, and don't think that doesn't happen a lot. I know you know that does. But do you guys use like a third party for loss runs to kind of circumvent, number one, bothering the potential prospect to have to kind of have that tough conversation with his agent? Or do you just – just call up and say, hey, I need you to call your agent and get your loss runs. It depends. I mean, there's no excuse why you can't get them, but there are times where you want to kind of tread lightly. So we'll do a little research on the back end and kind of order them directly, you know, with the insurance letterhead. I mean, there's a lot of times where we've typed up a loss run request form on behalf of our insured with their contact information. And we'll go out there and do it. It It's part of business because of what you said. Unfortunately, the, the, the siren goes off when you get, when you request the loss runs. Yep. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just part of the, I think we have them all saved. I mean, what we've done over time is just kind of have a, and our, our commercial marketing manager, Fabiola, she's a great job. She's extremely organized. I mean, she has a loss run request folder with templates for almost about every carrier now mm-hmm. with yeah. email, phone number. I mean, we have them on there already. So we just, we send them out directly. There's some have. MGAs that will list out on their website, each carrier's loss run contact, fax number, email or whatever. Yep. Um, but, but it works no matter who the MGA is because it's for that specific carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, have you found, man, that you guys have a lot better luck going directly to the carrier rather than going to the agent? Because what we found is, you know, when you send it to the agent, they're going to sit on it for a day or two at minimum. Yeah. Or a week. Or a week, yeah. A week, yeah. yeah. Or it's being sent direct. I, I, the, the famous quote is that it's being mailed yeah. directly to the insured, right? Okay. So my next question is this. And I have this happen in my own agency. You know Clint. You know, spent time with him. I think Clint's always had a little bit of a, a rub about asking for loss runs. I'm so cynical and so just straightforward. I'll get on the phone with somebody and I'll just say, loss runs. Give me loss runs. In fact, because some people, and I'm talking about commercial prospects now, they know just enough about the insurance game to be able to play it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where my They don't citizen, know just enough. They know a ton. Yeah. They've been around long my, enough, especially in that middle cyni- market. Yeah. That's where my cynicism comes in is I can usually smell when somebody kind of knows just enough to be able to play the game, and they come up with all these reasons why they can't get loss runs. But top five, why do you think so many agents have a little bit of consternation about asking potential clients for loss runs? I think the biggest issue is what you brought up earlier. I mean, just past experiences, asking for loss runs on an account you're bidding on, then having them ask their agent, then it, this goes into the second part about why it's frustrating in this business is the blocking of the markets, right? And how do you explain that to an insured saying, hey, I'm, I'm not asking for an agent of record, but maybe an assignment of markets, right. a little more clear. 
Um, but that becomes, I think that it, it just becomes so exhaustive, right? They make the process so difficult for the insured that they don't want to deal with it. Well, that, point, and that's the thing. That's, that's, that is the thing. Like us saying we're trying to make it as easy as a clue report is not to make it easier on us. It's to make it easier on the customer. Correct. Yep. All of these carriers and MGAs that are just so antiquated in their processes, instead of looking at how do we protect the business we've got, they need to be thinking about how do we make this easier on the customer? Mm. What does the customer want? And then let's, let's reverse engineer back into our processes instead of trying, you know, it's playing defense versus playing offense. Sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 hundred percent. I think what happens there too is that's what they do to us. They, we're in the front lines. We're the ones giving the face to our insureds. Insurance companies consider us as their clients, not our insureds. Right. I think it's the other way around. Like they're, they're our clients. They're the, I mean, we're literally on the front lines apologizing for things that are out of our control every day. Mm. I mean, how many times you get an insurance company tell you one thing, right? You get an email in writing or a phone call. And then that changes two days later, right? Egg on our face. It's, it's, it's really, that's a great point. They want to make our life easier because we're their client. They don't want to make, they don't really care about our insurance. Everybody knows I'm a big proponent of Tarmica and I was talking to a carrier that's a small bop carrier the other day. And I'm like, you guys need to be on Tarmica. There's never been a, a more perfect relationship than the two of you being together. And they're like, well, I don't know because you know, then we're going to be compared to these other carriers and it'll become a price war and da, 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 da. I was like, no, 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 no. You're ignoring the fact that by you being on this platform, whatever it is, right? It doesn't matter who it is, but by you not willing to open your system up and be on this platform, you're actually hurting your chances of getting really good business because you're not making it easy for me as the agent to quote you. If I have six carriers on Tarmica and I can get six BOP quotes, do you think I'm going to enter the information again on your system to get a quote? Probably not. No chance. No chance. I mean, especially when we're talking about small business, it needs to be easy. In order, right. for, in order for it to be profitable, right? We got to do it one time, execute, issue, and let's keep the train going. But it's, you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the frustration and I can go on a rant forever about it. We're considered their clients and are insured our yeah. clients. And that's the way it works. And I feel you like know, guys that, that guys like me and you and even Scott, some have to deal with this a little bit more than some of the agents listen to this because we're in coastal markets, especially uh, you. You're co- <laughs> at least if I look north, I get into some non-coastal. Everywhere you look, you're coastal. More, hey, it don't get more coastal than top yeah, five, baby. North, no, no. south, east, and west. Uh, yeah, we're, we're in the thick of it. And what's interesting enough, so, and, and good and bad, and down in South Florida, the market's so diverse. It's, it's kind of like the smallest, biggest city I consider it. But everybody wants to play down here because there's rate, right? Here's where the rate's at, coastal property. Not only do we compete against the local players, but you got people – Everybody wants to come down here. Everybody's coming down and kind of playing. So you always yeah. have on, on certain accounts the, the third on the bidding process, the, the wild card of somebody never heard of trying to get to this market. Don't you just love when that happens? I love when I'm competing on an account and I see somebody from like Indiana. I'm like, I'm about to rip them apart. Like yeah, they don't I mean, know anything. No. Hey, I, I, I'm going to tell you guys what I think it is. Com- commercial agents that are listening to this, I feel your pain. Because when it comes to loss runs, let me tell you what I equate it to. And I think this is why so many agents have a little bit of this thing in their head about, man, I don't want to last for loss runs. It's because it's like one of your buddies calls or texts you and he and his girlfriend are in a fight and she's blocked him. (laughs) And he's wanting you to text her something 
And now you're right in the middle of it. And somewhere in the back of all of our minds, we're thinking, that's, that's this p- prospect I'm talking to right now. He's about to be the guy that's in the middle of a fight between girlfriend and boyfriend. And you know when they get back together, she's going to hate you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and so you're about to, you know, you're saying, hey, can you call your agent and get some loss runs? And then when, as soon as he does that, that agent's picking up the phone going, why are you wanting loss runs? And so here we go. Now we're going into this thing where, well, well you know, that, I just need them. And <laughs> I mean, but, but that's why I think if, you know, something we're, we're doing and we're being more active about it, we're asking them, we're asking for lost ones internally more actively. I mean, we're, we're supplying that information. And this is just train of thought. Like, really think about it. If you're slow playing it and not giving the information that the insured should have and you're holding it back, like, why should an insured trust you? Like that, that's our biggest target as well. Like if you don't want to give the information away, which is their information, you're holding it back. Why should they be doing business with you? So yeah. a lot of times, most of the, when, when, we get, when we get into that unnecessary fight, the conversation happens. Why are you working with this person? What, what's, yeah. what's, what's, what's the issue? You know, what are they hiding? So, right. And so, even maybe using an example of, Hey, I had a client last week that asked me for lost runs. I knew they were shopping. I sent it to them in 17 minutes. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's theirs. It's yours. You should, and, and business owners, the, the flip side, they should be asking it as well. And I think if everyone gets more comfortable with that process, we'll kind of move from this taboo of why are you asking for lost ones? Mm-hmm. Well, it's your information. You should know if that workers comp claim is still open, right? Did the reserve go up because you know, heaven forbid, right? It only matters when you get non-renewed or rates yeah. double and not everybody's panicking what happens. So that taboo of asking the information should be more, it should be more transparent for sure. We do that a lot with certificates too. We'll ask, you know, Hey, what's your biggest frustration with your current broker? And it's always, well, it takes two days. Yeah. You know, I swear nine out of 10 people, it takes two days to get a certificate. Well, we have a system um, in our agency that self-serve certificates. Okay. And, and t- fun, interestingly enough, almost nobody uses it. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we have that, right. It, you know, they, they still want to reach out to us for them, but, but that is an indication that we can get them to them a lot faster than the average agent. My brother-in-law asked me for a certificate the other day, and it took me, I think, 35 minutes to send it to him just because I was on my way to the office. And he was kind of complaining to me. I'm like, bro, you need to leave for a little bit. <laughs> well, that's family. Back. That's okay, family. Come on now. I mean, talk about Thanksgiving. Well, this year's a little different, but I mean, obviously, if you're not insuring your family, you're not a very good agent. But when you do, right, family holidays, family parties tend to be uh, uh, the first 20 minutes is a complaint about their rates. So it's, 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 it's a landmine. I mean, it's like, I know. And then, and then you do somebody, say you do find somebody a better deal, right? But there knows that up yet. You're going to get hammered that you saved your uncle 20, you know, a couple grand. And then, you know, your brother-in-law went up. So it's Thanksgiving is yep. always fun. Yep. Yep. Hey, I'm going to move off that topic because I want to ask you a question that I found very interesting and I liked it a lot when I was down there and you and I've never talked about this. So I met with your agency manager for about an hour while I was down there. She was fantastic. And Bradley and I did a podcast last week that was listened to by about 10 million people about what we pay our people was the, the podcast. You know, that's, that's the kind of million dollar question in the insurance industry is what does everybody pay in their people? When I was down there, top five, the, the agency manager, we were, got, we were talking about commissions and what y'all pay you people and that kind of stuff. And she said, well, one of the things that we do as we're going through the hiring process when we talk to people is we sit down with them with their financials, with like bank statements and shit, and determine whether 
them coming on board with us is even financially feasible for them at this time because you and I both know takes time to kind of build up your book of business and make yep. the kind of money that you want to make. Talk a little bit about that. And, and I don't know if you still do that or not, because that was a couple of years ago. I mean, we, we do, I think it's just expectations, you know, yeah. um, so much of us. And, and, and again, I think everybody who's not in our business wants to get in the business, but they do it in a way where they don't have all the facts, even how right. commissions are paid. So you have a lot of talented people who see, they might look around like insurance is a sticky product. You know, I could sell X, Y, and Z. So they jump into it with the unrealistic expectations of how it's going to go. And, and early on, I remember it did it to, it happened to myself early on um, where I got into this. It was actually my, my first job was I was on a commission draw. By the way, no, no one explained to me what a draw was. Right. I had no idea, no idea. And then as you kind of get involved and you start doing this stuff, you realize what they were talking about. It was deflating. It was absolutely deflating, you know, changing careers, knowing actually what commissions were. I thought, by the way, I remember my first policy I ever wrote, this is like 15, 16 years ago. We wrote it through the state fund down here. It was a homeowner's policy. When they told me you were getting 10% commission, right? That's what the, the commission is from the carrier. I thought it was 10% of the premium. Right. I, to, I told myself, wow, man, if I sell three or four houses, I'm going to be killing it. No, you're getting, you're getting 25% of the 10% and then it works backwards. So that's kind of those experiences led us to be you know, very transparent up front um, through the hiring process. What we do here, that's a little, and, and I'm, I'm assuming it's different. All our producers are on commission only. Right. So they're, they're commission only. And, and, and I tell everybody, the reason is if I mean, you really get into this in sales because you want to get a piece of that residual income. Renewals is what's going to help you build that career. You, you, in essence, you develop your salary as you keep going. But you know, most people, when they got into it, it's so difficult because it's going to take three or four months to even sell a, a policy, right? And right, kind of right. build it. Year one is almost, I don't want to use impossible, but very challenging. Mm -hmm. And I, I see, I saw early on a couple good guys get kind of discouraged and quit. But they, they would have held on, it would have helped them. Um, right, so right. what we've done a little bit different and it's kind of evolved is there's four instances of four, four, they're actually producers now that when they started, they got their 220, they wanted to get to insurance. We kind of developed this, this farm. I don't want to call it the Meyer league system, but almost like a farming program. Mm -hmm. but I had, we've had them commit to be a technical assistant on both commercial and personal lines for one year. We'll pay them honestly, very, the, the starting very low, low salary. Um, some of our technical assistants will make $30,000 as a starting point. You know, you don't need a license to be a tech cause you're not, you're not dealing with the actual insureds directly, right? You're assisting the account managers, mm -hmm. but I've had that no egos and, and some, some, you know, sharp salespeople start, but by doing that, they've been able to learn from the ground, right? To be a self-sufficient producer. They learned, I mean, I, I was a receptionist. I was, I, I did it all. So I know how to do a certificate, how to read a COI, how to kind of be nimble enough. And that's kind of been our new process where uh, they're going through this minor league system per se, I'm right. learning the back end, and then we're allowing them to sell. So it gives them kind of like this one, they had to sell kind of after hours or, or during the day, but they're able to kind of build and start selling some, you know, to kind of build their book. So when year two comes or, you know, year one ends, they're able to start with something, not just start from scratch. Well, uh, yeah. And I was just like you when I was 35 years old, when I got in the insurance industry and I, I did not understand how the whole thing worked and how the commissions worked. And that is a big reason why my first year in insurance, I made $16,000 that year. I'm you, literally having to borrow money yeah, yeah. from family members 
because I didn't under, I thought I understood it. I, I guess, I guess I did. I don't know, but no, I, I, it, it wasn't, I, I did the same thing. By the way, I barely beat you. I think I was just under 18. I think it was like 17,000 and change. Call the cost year. of living difference right there. Right. Yeah, the, right, the credit right. card, the credit card, Capital One loves me. That credit card debt was racking up that first year. That's right. And I think that's an important step for a lot of these people that reach out to Bradley and I that are, maybe they're going from a captive situation to an independent situation, or maybe they're just getting into the industry, but really understanding the math. And I've had more than one agent that's, I guess now been in the business as long as we have or longer tell me that it's going to take about five years of really hard work. I'm not talking about going and playing golf three days a week. I'm talking about getting in there and getting after it to start making the kind of money that you probably in your mind are thinking about the day you start. Right. Well, uh, and I think I, I, t- I talk about that a lot when recruiting people to come, come work at portal or just in general is, you know, sometimes to get what you want in life and in business and with your career, you have to take a step back yep. to go forward. Not that we're paying people less or anything like that, but sometimes it, it may appear to be a step back and, and, a lot of these people that you see that you're like, I don't want to be that guy working at the same dead end job. Like it's because they weren't willing to take that step back or they couldn't, or Or they they couldn't, or they couldn't. I've seen great people in the industry, Bradley, or excuse me, people that wanted to get in the industry Mm -hmm. say they're a pharmaceutical sales manager with Pfizer making 500, $350,000 a year. Their wife drives a brand new Mercedes. They've got two kids, the white picket fence. Mm-hmm. Can't go back. You can't go back. And yeah, Hey, if no you want to do that and be happy, that's fine. You know, but yeah. like, I mean, I look at myself, you know, I was, I was working at Liberty national making pretty good money for a 21 year old and took at least a $20,000 pay cut right. to, go to work for a PNC agent because I wanted to le- learn PNC. My wife, went before she opened her agency, went to work for an agent as an internship whose her salary was less than her yearly rent at the apartment she had to rent to live there. Mm-hmm. So not that we're perfect, but you've got to be willing to do those kind of things in order to propel yourself forward. Mm. You know, and, and I kind of like why we have this this minor league system, you know, I, I use it from my my fam my fam's experiences in the restaurant business. If you're going to be a good insurance agent, a successful insurance agent, you got to know everything. You got to be self-sufficient. You got to be able to work from home or now remotely more than ever, but you got to be able to understand what you're doing, how it's done, when it's done, so you can deliver those expectations up front. But I go back to the restaurant business. I remember early on, you know, my parents have been doing this for 38 years, 39 years, since I, right, literally when I was born. They used to hire, it's, it's, like, it's like getting in the restaurant business and not knowing food, right? Everybody wants to have, a, it's like you're going to open a restaurant, but then what happens is the chefs run your business. The chefs want the equity, right? The chefs run the show and you're kind of, your hands are tied. It's the same thing getting into the insurance business. You want to be in sales because you know, you have good charisma and I get it. You can do it. But if you don't take a step back and learn the little things, the little nuances of it, you're not going to make it. You're going to rely, unfortunately, on all the support from your account managers, which there's great ones out there. We all have them but they're not as invested as you're going to be being the salesperson on a commission only basis or earning commission in general. It's just a different mindset. You got to, you got to take a step back and learn those little things in order for you to kind of be able to walk your own path. I've got a couple questions for you. So I sent a text out to the insurance guys listener list that we have two five one two three seven nine three eight three. If you want to join that and said, we're interviewing Gaz 
and what questions do you have for him? So I got a couple questions here from listeners. Sure. Uh, the first one is from Heath Sharon. As you've grown this massive agency, I noticed you have a team dedicated solely to social media. As the industry continues to evolve, do you see more and more agencies moving to this platform? Does your media team help you develop contacts? I'm assuming that's prospects. Or do you develop a contact and they help get it out there? Content is what he's trying to say. Mm-hmm. What role does Johnny, Juan, and Luis play in this process? It, it's evolving. I, I do. I mean, I, I think whether it's insurance or not, everybody should take advantage of the free marketing, call it advertising. Mm-hmm. It's, it's out there. You guys do a great job. Brad, you're out there more than anybody. I mean, but, but really what it does, it, you know, I think more than ever, the team started with one person. Juan, actually, Juan Lopez was a technical assistant. It just ended up being how he, you know, he was a, he's a he's liberal arts major from, from FIU or went to school. And we realized this guy was writing great emails, following mm-hmm. up on claims, super articulate, where he was proofreading stuff for me. And then I got to the point where like, hey, why don't, you know, it was almost like, why don't we check this stuff out, right? And then he started kind of learning into it. And then Lewis got involved and Johnny as well. But, mm-hmm. but overall, I mean, I think everybody, I mean, obviously we're, we're blessed enough to have the resources to have a team of three people. And what they do is just really... I guess a strategy now is to bring attention to the business. We've never asked for business. We never necessarily asked to get a quote yet. I think I want to do that eventually, kind of be in that, but it's, it's kind of an evolving process as far as what the media is doing now. We're bringing attention to the business. And, and let me tell you why we did this. And, and that's, it's just, I'll give you a 30 second of what changed is down here again in South Florida, and, and, and we're a middle market firm, but we're chasing some accounts that we're going up against the alphabet houses, right? The publicly owned agencies who are going after where they chase, they chase rate, right? So what happens is, you know, we had the relationships from doing this organically for 15 years, but we get into accounts. And when you get into some of the larger accounts, you know, the bidding process, usually you're dealing with a board or a CFO, not the owner that got you in the door, mm-hmm. but it, it ended up being a resume play. It was like, we're, Jag's the third person in there, but I've had people tell me, hey, I never heard of you guys. And the decision makers, believe it or not, they tell you off the record, hey, I like you more, but if I Google and USI pops up first, I'm not, I don't want to get fired, so I'm going to go oh, with yeah. them. And that, that, little, I mean, that, that little sub. So we just said, you know what? What we did is we said, all right, that's a perceived weakness, at least locally, right? Like, let's flip it. We're privately owned. I can do whatever I want. I mean, I can sit here and, I, you know, whatever you want to do, I'll, I'll do it right now. We're privately owned. So we have that, that flexibility. So we kind of use that as an advantage. And now we're posting stuff consistently on all, on all different platforms, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, Facebook, but we're able to get attention that way and it's working. And, and now the intent of that was next time I go into that meeting, it's not more about building a resume, but it's about the product and the product knowledge that I bring to the table. So right. that, that's what kind of led this to this whole, you know, 180. I, I say 360 because then we, no, we start all over again. It's 180. And so much in this industry, so much marketing talk in the insurance industry is centered around push button, get lead. And that's great and all, but the minute you stop pushing the button, i.e. spending the money, the leads are going to go away versus an organic content strategy. I'm not saying you should do one or the other. I'm saying you should do both, but this organic content strategy, you're really building your reputation and you're building the foundation of the brand of your agency forever. And it's being able to walk into that meeting and that person know you is super valuable. Your closing ratio now goes up whatever yeah. percentage it's monumental it, you're not it, it and it stops and it's it's funny and that's that's what i get the most gratification from is it happens more maybe on the carrier side or look we, we're growing we have some some new employees we've hired six people since covid a majority of them 
when you when they come in, they kind of feel like they know you already, right? Mm-hmm. They, they kind of have, like you see that the culture, which by the way, puts a lot of pressure on you doing this in a way where you're authentic, right? You're, you're very accountable. As much as you want to be vulnerable, yep. then you're accountable. I, I hate to be a fraud to sit up here and say, I care about my, my employees, but then something, somebody asked me for a day off, right? And we're going to get on them. Then you're a fraud. It's the thing that pushed me to open portal because the agency I was running would not allow me to hire enough people to adequately handle the business we were bringing in from the content we were doing. So either the content had to stop or we had to keep giving a less than par experience to our customers and neither one of those things could have happened. Let me ask you, why do you think that happened in the situation? Was it more of, um, cause I have a theory in, and again, everyone's situation is different, but I have a theory in, in agency owners or principals who stopped actively producing, set themselves up, right? Like it's almost like a, once you stop producing as a principal, or I've known of other agency principals who rely on producers to produce for them. Mm-hmm. That's when the, that's when the, the, the culture, the decisions become, and they're making money off you, right? They're not really, yeah. it becomes, the decisions start to become a little bit um, clouded where you're not making the right decision because you're making the decision more about yourself instead of your employees, in my opinion. Well, I think it, it goes back to you guys are friends with Gary, as are, as are we, not to push the Gary button too much, but he talks about, you know, he's obviously, I mean, a thousand employees, you can't have your hands in everything, but he talks about being dangerous in every category. You know, yeah. even though you're the CEO of this company, you still need to know how to do everyone's job in case you need to step in at a moment's notice. Yep. And as someone who's tried, who's over the last few months tried to slowly sort of phase myself out a little bit, I still am involved on a weekly basis in certain things. So I think where people mess up in that regard is they just ignore it completely. Then you're making the decision for your agency based off your 30,000 foot point of view or your glass chessboard point yeah. of view. Versus it's how you feel. It's how you feel. Day, correct. Correct. The day-to-day grind. Hey, I'll tell you this, guys. The last two weeks I've written, I don't know, somewhere in around fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in premium myself, by myself, nobody helped, didn't have any I'd act, actually call Clint a couple times and ask him a few questions about some things. But one of my favorite things to do is I'll send a text out to my salespeople and I'll say, Hey, I wrote ten thousand this week. Y'all need to step your damn game up. Right. And right. and I and I, I love doing that because th- there is that I've always said you need to know how to at least kind of do everything in your agency, not only because if somebody leaves, but just for a lot of reasons, you know, if it's from the P and L and balance sheet, you need to know how to read that to Mm -hmm. see, you know, where are we? What, you know, what are, what are we doing here? You need to know how to do the remittance every day. You need to know how to, all those things. And I know that when you get to become the size of agency Jag is, it's probably harder to do that because things start getting a little more complicated and, and you don't want to take away from what you're good at to go do something that you're not so good at. But yeah. at the same time, you still need to have kind of a overall umbrella of, I understand this. It, it's, it's, that, it's that balance of, you know, you got to exploit what you do best and it makes you money and do that. But you also got to continuously look at exploring new ways, right? Just in case that those things become obsolete. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's having that mindset. I, I can tell you my, my biggest challenge and this had through, through the growth phase was really expectations from some of my older insureds. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I used to drive to people's homes. You, you talked about earlier driving 20 minutes to pick up a check. Yeah. You know, 30 minutes. I, I mean, I literally write homeowners policies in people's homes. 
Right. And, and that, but which is great. That led to the organic growth, to the referrals, relationships, right? Mm-hmm. That's number one, sales second. But now it's how do we transition where I'm not as available via phone just because of the amount of calls or different responsibilities and right. having people tell me, hey, I, I want to talk to Lewis, right? Mm-hmm. I want to talk to Lewis. And, so, and having to transition where, hey, I'm, I'm unavailable right now, but look, I've invested in a team that's going to get you the better service. Sure, not, sure. And, it's, and, it's, and it's explaining that where it's not just this mindset where people think, oh, you, you've outgrown, now my policy doesn't matter. It's not true. It's, so that's kind of been my challenge and, mm-hmm. and continuously trying to articulate that to some of our insurance. I know by, they have my cell phone. I know by first name. I know their families. It's, it's that evolution. How do you kind of continue to go forward without losing what you got, right? Sure. A little bit of both. It's a fine line. And the line that I cross there is when somebody that I know that's a client of ours and I have a relationship with as well, when they either get pissed off yep. and somebody tells me, hey, do you know Dan Carter? Yeah, I know Dan Carter. Well, he just called over here mad as hell. Well, Scott probably needs to pick a phone and call that guy. Or some other situations I can think of, claim type scenarios where I need to be the one to pick up the phone and call Dan and say, hey, everybody all right over there? Y'all okay? But but then there's other situations where I feel like I've hired the very best people and they've done it so long now, they do it better than I do. So why not let them handle that? It's a fine line. And I understand where you're coming from with that. It is. Hey, insurance agents from around the world, listen to me when I say this. There are a lot of you that put out a lot of good content on social media. But in my humble opinion, I feel like, and I've been saying this for six, seven months now, JAG Insurance, from the agency standpoint, puts out the best content in the industry day in and day out. And a big part of that is because of their marketing and social media team that they have assembled over there. Top five real quick, and then I got another question for you before we get off this podcast. How do you have that structured? I know you've got three or four guys and girls right now working in that department. Tell our agency how you've got that structured as far as who does what in terms of the, the marketing for you guys. So it's, we have three full-time employees, and it's kind of structured where one's doing the, the print, right, the actual edit, mm-hmm. more of the LinkedIn-type model. We have one who, who's actually recording, videoing most of the stuff. And then we have also, you know, someone editing. So we always, I mean, our goal is to every day put out um, just organic content, you know, evergreen type new stuff. And it's just, it's one of those things where it's, it's scheduled. Like, I, you know, one thing that we've got a lot of success, and I know Instagram, everybody loves it because it's kind of easier to use. But I think the organic reach on LinkedIn, specifically if, if, if you're looking to meet somebody, right? I mean, link, Instagram still, most people are still private. But LinkedIn, we put about five posts a day. I know it seems a little bit overwhelming. But that's led to, believe it or not, a lot of carrier appointments. We've got some new appointments that they haven't appointed anybody in the last 10 years. Just because of that, we actually, it's funny, pre-COVID, we'd have marketing reps come to the office just for the LinkedIn photo. So what they want to do is take the LinkedIn photo because you tag them and their company and all their peers see it. And it became kind of like a running joke. So we were busier than ever in our conference room. But that's kind of the way it's set up. It's it's to get attention, to show our culture, to be authentic, to be transparent, not necessarily so it's really selling in an indirect way. We're selling ourselves, not the product. And then the product becomes kind of the second part. But that's how, seen, we, have it, how we have it structured. I've seen some very, very good marketers in the insurance industry recently downplaying LinkedIn. And I love it. I'm like insurance agents keep sleeping on LinkedIn. Let, let me and guys play there, right? 
and my response to them would be, you're using it wrong. You're trying to use it like a marketer, not like a human being. Right. You're trying to use it like a marketer. You're not trying to use it to build well, relationships. As early as last week, I saw a video from Gary Vaynerchuk, and Vaynerchuk's almost like the guy with a crystal ball, right? He said the two places that are left to gain organic reach and, and get results without having to pay for it are LinkedIn, number one, number two, TikTok. Those are the two places we have left that you don't have to pay to play, if that makes any sense. Well, I mean, well, I posted think- something on LinkedIn this morning. This is just an average post, nothing, nothing crazy. It's, it's reached 418 people, two comments, 19 engagement, 19 likes. Mm-hmm. Well, if you think about it, let's just say any CFO you want to talk to, they're on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're a direct message away. How you want to approach that, that's on you. But if you talk about getting access to somebody, I mean, we're evolving too. We're starting to, to, you know, actively kind of procure some more stuff through social media, Mm. but we're sending video messages to CFOs, Mm. explaining who we are and how we think we can help. I mean, look, they might not call you back, but I know they're going to read it, right? I mean, it's better than sending sending an email or calling and trying to get to the, through, through that, through that Mm. kind of rabbit hole. But it, it's there. It's there. And by DMs, he doesn't mean bulk DMs <laughs> where you're sending the same video message no, 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 to 1,800 no, no. people. <laughs> and, you know, people, of agents have asked me, like, Bradley, how do you get carrier appointments? Because we're all direct. And, and, I mean, obviously, everything's a little different. But, but in me, the quickest way to get appointed with a carrier that's hard to get appointed with is to start at the top down, not, not the bottom up. Right. In other words, you start at that CFO or you start at that – you know, VP of marketing for the Southeast region or something of that nature. And the quickest way to get to them is LinkedIn. hundred percent. I've got the, I've got the best question of the day here. I don't know. I got one's pretty good in a minute. When I was down there, you said something to me that really resonated with me. There's three partners in Jag insurance. Miami is a very big place, but like everywhere else, it's very clicky too. everybody. You run in certain circles. One of the most ingenious things I think I've ever heard is when you told me, look, Doug, Fernie, and myself, we all have different personalities, and we all run in a different social circle. So Fernie's a member of this country club. I'm a member of this. Doug's over here. So you're, you're, if you drew three circles that all kind of intertwined with each other, you're all diagram. hitting. Yeah, yep. You're, yep. you're all hitting those. That's ingenious, by the way, and I'm, I don't know if that was just an unintended consequence. I, I kind of think it probably was. You all have different personality types. I've met and spent time with all three of you, and from a personality standpoint, while you're all close, and maybe this is what makes you close, you're, you all have a different type of personality. What is the commonality that the three of you have, and I can name two of them right now, that, that makes all three of you great salespeople. Because, and it took, the two I have are confidence. You're all three very confident in yourself, which I think is one of the top things you got to have to be great in sales, especially when you're selling these large accounts to board members and things like that. Product knowledge was the second that I thought of between the three of you that you all three have. Are there any other commonalities that you see for the three of you to make that makes all three of you great salespeople. I, I think the the third one that is really the, the most common trait besides and let's skip over doing the right thing and being a good person because right. that's that's uh, that don't, we don't, we don't yeah, have to yeah. say that. 
but it's playing the long game. Yeah. Like we, all, all three of us, everything we do is predicated to what's going to happen in the next five years. Right. I mean, there's, there's certain accounts that we've had to just not go after right away, but we've built the relationships the right way. I mean, we don't come across as we have to sell something. We want to sell something and we want to build this for the next 10, 15, 20 years. We want to build it for our employees. Like the mindset was always the same. And I know people say it, but once you get a little more confident, once you have a little more success, you start to be a little more sure of yourself. Um, and I can tell you all, all three of us, what we want to do is we want to build. We, we don't, we want to keep hiring people because it's the right thing to do. Mm. Um, we, we, we want to make sure that when we, whenever this is over in the next 15, 20 years, that we not only, not only are we successful, but we did it for, we brought people along with us. We're not, we're not cutting corners, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Everything is done for what's going to happen next year, two, three, four, five years. Well, Talk a little you, bit about sorry, the organ, organizational structure internally. You know, I know you guys, you, you mentioned you had the account manager. And what was the other person, the other position? Well, we have the, the kind of the structure, believe it or not, and, and, it's, and it's evolving like it always is. Yeah. But and what we, I mean is more like the flow of business. You know, how do renewals yeah. come in? What do you, how do you guys handle new business? Sure. I know you guys have a pretty cool perk is once a producer gets to a certain point, they get their own office and things like that. Talk yeah. a little bit about that. Sure. So the, um, the way it's structured, and, it, and again, it's changed just through growth, but we, we have individual teams. There's a team J, a team A, and a team G. And it kind of funnels down. And the reason we do that is for, for really to make it some, some continuity as far as like who's doing what. But for personal, commercial, each team has a dedicated account manager, account executive, depending on, I'm not big on titles. I know everyone uses different titles, but the account managers are kind of the, the person that's in charge of the servicing for the account. And then each account manager has a tech or technical assistant. What we did when we grew early on is we started hiring more technical assistants, which number one, two reasons. Number one, you don't have to have a license because you're not talking to the insureds directly, right? Or the carriers. But it was a good way to kind of bring in people to see if they were going to be a good fit for the agency. It's kind of like that, that system where we became tech heavy. The biggest reason is that freed up the time for our account managers to do what we want them to do is that, and that's to pick up the phone. The account managers then would, would kind of, so if we would look at it from a structure, I have my account manager who's my right hand as far as a service team and her job or his job is to help be that, the, the front of the house, right? I use it like a restaurant. You know, the front of the house is what you see as a consumer. The maitre d', you see the waiter, the waitress, how the food's being presented and then them having, them having help in the back of the house, right? When you go to a restaurant, nobody cares what the kitchen looks like. Nobody cares. Know so what it looks J like. Would be, would be Doug, correct? Yeah. And then Doug has his account manager and technical assistant. Right. And okay. then, and then we have it. And then what we do is we'll have some, we each are assigned producers to help mentor on mm-hmm. each specific team. So that'll be where, you know, I have two on my team that if they have issues, questions on the account, I mean, we all work together and, and the lines do get crossed, but that's just more of a, from a workflow structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens is these technical assistants who've got their license have grown up. Now we have a future account manager, right? We're able mm-hmm. to kind of, we're able to promote within so now we've gotten more and more, and really we've grown with account managers because our technical assistants have been able to develop and, and get their license. And you say I, team, do, do all the licensed people on that team share the commission? No, no. Okay. Everyone, everybody here in our office does whatever you sell, you're responsible for. Gotcha. We do promote, just like we grew up, like spinning accounts. Mm-hmm. So, so many, some, sometimes like we get kind of as producers get caught in making the sale, but, but being self-aware of like, maybe I have another producer who's either more comfortable in a certain product, more comfortable as far as personality goes, right? I mean, we all get along. I mean, we can get along with anybody, but there's certain people you click with or not. And being able to identify that and 
you know, working yeah. on those account togethers sometimes, you know, do benefit. But here, whatever you sell, you, you get commission on. So I'm guessing I, like a renewal comes in, say for an ENS policy, that technical assistance getting it first usually. And then it makes its way all the way up to the producer if it maybe needs to be reshopped or something of that correct, nature. Correct, correct, correct. In essence, yeah. Hey, I, I got a question, top five. The stuff the technical assistant's doing, you mentioned back a house, right? Mm-hmm. Are they doing stuff like creating and updating schedules, using Excel spreadsheets, things like that? Is that it's, the type it's, of? Right. It's anything as far as, you know, obviously the billing, which is a huge issue, which takes right. up a lot of time. And that's the most important part because when the phones are ringing, one decimal point, right, or one number wrong could be a problem. But it's, as far as the billing, requesting loss runs, following up on claims, filing claims, uh, doing anything that would, that would help free up time as far as the account managers to do the actual insurance work, whether it's speaking to an underwriter, confirming the renewal, um, even checking policies sometimes. But it really depends on the growth of the technical assistant. Or if it takes you 30 minutes to handle a billing problem with travelers because something went wrong, that could take 30 to 45 minutes if you need someone on the phone that's what the technical assistants do, help free up time for us really to be on the phone. We want to make sure when you call us that one time a year or two times a year that we pick up the phone. Yeah. Yeah. So I have another question that, that just came in from Tracy Cotton. She said, I need to know his favorite red wines and I'm not joking. That's funny. Tra- Tracy's funny. You know, it's uh, lately I've been into some, some, some French Bordeaux. It's funny. I'm, I do love wine. You know, it's kind of a, a meal without wine is, is breakfast and in, in the household. <laughs> So that's, that's, uh, other brunch, brunch is kind of, that's, that's the, uh, the saying, but, um, I would go into some, some French Bordeaux. Like lady now I'm, I'm kind of looking for the, a good bottle, you know, what's, what's a value between 15, $20 they, they, they still exist, but that's kind of what I'm into lately. But I'll, Tracy, I'll send, I'll send you some, some pictures from, from my Vivino app. I'll do that. Hey, top five, I'm going to shut this thing down in a minute, but before I do, I need some help with something. And the reason I'm asking this is because I know there's a lot of agents out there like me where my agency is really struggling right now. We're in secret time now is with renewals. We struggle with renewals. We are so focused on new business and probably not staffed up as much as we should on the commercial side to be able to really deep dive into com- to renewals. What advice would you give me on getting better at, taking our list of renewals every week. And you know as well as I do, the bigger you get, if yeah. you don't staff up properly, what's going to fall through the cracks? Well, it's so easy to just let those renewals just go and not not look at them, especially if they haven't taken rate or anything. And that's one thing Chris Paradiso always talks about is, man, you got to touch everybody uh, through the year, yeah. whether it's middle of the year or at renewal, but you got to touch them. What advice would you have for me to help Clint and I and our agents here that are in commercial to get better at focusing on those renewals? I mean, I think it's, I think it's the most common problem for agency owners. It's, it's just, it's the common problems, the common mindset. We, we go through the same issues. One thing that we did start doing, even when it comes to house accounts, is we make sure every account is assigned a producer. So here, because producers are getting, you know, obviously making money on renewals, what we're doing is we're making the producers be more accountable as far oh. as um, it goes. It, it benefits them financially, but making more of an effort once a month to kind of honor, honor production meetings, take some time out, not just for new business, but kind of do a deep dive on the renewals. And it's something as simple as why, you know, we'll break down X account. Why do we only do the workers comp and the liability? Mm. Who does the auto? 
who does the property, there's new business within your renewal book. I mean, everybody has it. It's just being able to identify it and touching it. So it's kind of, you know, I guess in our situation, make it more of your sales, your new business prospect, your new business sales is really start doing a deep dive and calling out some of the agencies. Even me, I do it to myself. There's some times I realize I've asked like my team, my account managers is when I see a, if you see a certificate of insurance that only has two lines on it, please remind me and let me know because mm-hmm. I need to do a deep dive. And why am I only writing these two lines of business when everybody, any business has a, you know, an average of four or five. Mm-hmm. So right. it's, it's kind of circling the wagons and being aware of, of that. But that would be, I don't have a secret sauce. I'm still trying to figure it out as well. Just doing that, assigning producers. And then on the, on the new sales meetings, really spend some time in bringing up the renewals as well. Well, I'll tell, tell you our biggest problem, and you're, I know you're experiencing this too because it's not just here in Alabama or in the states that we service, but on the, on the habitational stuff that we write, HAB has probably, I, I don't know of another classification of business that's been hardened as much this year as HAB has. Right. So you, you're, it seems like every account that's coming up for renewal is getting a, a 20, 30% rate increase. So really – you need somebody actually just just working all those renewals and you can't I can't put that back on Clint because then hell he'd never sell any new business you know he'd just be doing nothing but handling renewals and then it's hard to hire an account manager that's so good at that renewal work that you feel confident saying here's our renewals you work with these alpha male investors and expect that that's going to go well. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a really, it's a dilemma that I still have. I'm, I'm trying my best to try to figure out. Whether, whether you, you know, identifying a renewal marketing person, we do have a two person team for, for new business marketing. So yeah. that, that alleviates one issue, but then that's, that's what happens, right? When is that converted to the account manager on renewal? Are they as familiar with the account? What's changed? I mean, really it's the onus has to become, become on the agents on the producers. I mean, we're on the front lines. We, we just got to, Everybody do a better job of just communicating, building that relationship. That's what's going to keep the renewal. When you get that 20% bump, right? What have you done? Are you still kind of building those last six, seven months? Right. Bradley, do you have any more questions? I think that's a great point to end on. Oh, wait. One more question. Last question. COVID-19, it's affected a lot of people. Some, in some ways, good. In some ways, bad. I keep saying this. The insurance industry was built for COVID-19. You guys have got a huge office in downtown Miami. It's so beautiful. How have you guys straddled the fence of all 20 or 30, 40 people coming in versus staying at home? Are you going to keep the big office? Where are you guys at with that right now? We actually only came back to the office October 26th was the first day we opened the office. And really what we did is we followed the public school system. You know, obviously with childcare is the most important part, but we've evolved. I mean, we're, we're stuck in our office for the next five years, so we're not going anywhere. But right. what's kind of happened is, you know, we, we actually were going to open up earlier. We listened to our employees. There are some concerns. So when we did open up, we came with a flex schedule. We have a Monday, Wednesday group, Tuesday, Thursday group right. to kind of make sure everyone's socially distant and everybody's separated. And then Friday, we're working virtual 100%. As it is, I come every day. You know, the producers are welcome to come in and out. But that's kind of been the new norm for the last two months. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I, I see continuing to happen, to be honest with you. But that's where we're at right now. I don't see it changing. Well, I, I knew there had to be some form of difference going on there because you wouldn't want that many people in one space all the time. So I figured that y'all were 
doing something similar to what you have done. You know what what happened, Scott, there is, is, and and we were doing fine working remotely. And and again, if you can't trust your employees to work remotely, why would you hire them in the first place? That's kind of the old adage. But there is this sense of of still getting a little uncomfortable. You know, I, I think the biggest trait for anybody, and sales is even more important, is once you forget how to get uncomfortable and be good at getting uncomfortable, you kind of lose your edge. So what we did is, you know, we came this happy medium. Like, look, two days a week, socially distant. Let's get everybody a little bit uncomfortable as far as still getting into that workflow. And, and it's really for service reasons, but even us as salespeople, I think that was the best solution we can come up with. I agree. Hey, I, one more thing I want to tell you. First of all, how much I love you. I, I, just, I just bought... 300 rounds of 5.56 for my, my AR-15. I've got more weapons than probably most people in Alabama, and that's a lot of weapons. I've got 17 miles of caves behind my house. So if we start taking the COVID vaccine and it turns everybody into these uh, COVID vampire zombies, I'm coming down to get you okay. in Miami. That's a deal. Bringing you and your family up. And uh, we'll go into my secured compound for about a year and a half until we get rid of all the COVID vampire zombies. Talk about some content. That'd be pretty interesting, right? Oh, oh, yeah. If y'all come out with JAGS insurance. with the JAGS, JAGS insurance. Yeah, the apostrophe S. Yes. Insur- insurance agents, as I always like to say at the end of every podcast, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today and go out to the big bad world and build relationships. There is no possible way that you didn't get something out of this podcast today. I hope that you'll take it to heart. These guys have built a juggernaut down in Miami. They are fantastic at what they do. Go out on social media and follow JAG Insurance across all social media platforms and do what Gary Vaynerchuk always talks about doing. Just do what they do. Just do what they do. If you'll just do what they do, you'll be 10 times where you are today. So I hope that you'll go out and do that and uh, write good business for the companies that you represent and write good business for the agencies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love you, buddy. Thanks, man. Hey, y'all are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at iprotectins at gmail.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to bradleyflowersinsurance.com or email him at bradley at sarahlandinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to being with you again real soon on the next episode of the Insurance Guys. Take care.